HR leaders starting to see the value of data and the oceans of data that really sit underneath their feet that they have access to, if they can only just leverage that for better insights and better decision making and supporting the businesses, it can go a long way. You know, what we've seen in these digital world-class companies is that attitude, which leads to HR enabling the business. You know, for example, things like strategic workforce planning, the digital world-class companies are two times more likely to have this process in place or tools in place to support that type of capability. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. How do the world's best human resource organizations manage to spend less, operate with fewer staff, yet deliver greater value to their companies? I'm Gary Baker, Global Communications Director at the Hack Group, and on this week's Business Acceleration Podcast, we continue our series focusing on the digital world-class research for 2023 with a discussion of findings from our recent Human Resources Benchmark with Franco Giramonti, a principal in our Executive HR Advisory Practice and Maggie Rutz, Senior Manager in our HR Benchmarking Practice. Welcome, Franco and Maggie. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Gary. Franco, the mic is yours. All right. Thank you, Gary. Well, I think, first of all, folks, we probably should start off with explaining how Hackett defines digital world-class. So, Maggie, I'm going to ask you, if you can, can you explain what does Hackett mean when we say digital world-class? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that question, Franco. And I think it's an important one. And, you know, digital world class is a phrase, a terminology that we use to really mean over the course of our measurement process. So the benchmarks that we do do with our HR clients, we're looking at those organizations that really achieve top quartile performance, right? So top quartile performance in both, we look at a number of different metrics, but essentially across a number of business value metrics. So think a composite, right, of like the stakeholder experience of HR, the digital enablement of HR, as well as like traditional effectiveness metrics. Think your termination rates and your error rates and your cost per hire and things of that nature, as well as operational excellence metrics. So this is really a composite more of we're really thinking about an organization and how much they've used digital enablement to create better processes, how much they've used automation, their complexity factors, right? So think like how many job grades or job variables do they have in their compensation process? So we look across hundreds of these types of metrics and find the top quartile companies across each of those which really then define our digital world class. And the neat thing about it is, is we know through our metrics and through our data collection that these are companies that are doing a lot of things right. They're able to provide good service to their customers, to their clients, to their HR stakeholders, while at the same time, they're being good stewards of their budget, right? And they're doing it in such a way that they're not breaking the bank. So it's a a really good kind of bellwether right? And it's really good to look up to these companies and to try to solve for how these companies are doing things so well. Thank you, Maggie, for that. So I guess as we think about this, we should be also, you know, as part of our work we've done around studying these digital world-class companies, we have identified what I would say are six core capabilities, Maggie. And we should, 
you know, as for our audience, we should probably talk through those. But the ones that we've identified are aligned talent, operating model, data and analytics, customer-centric design, technology, and modern digital architecture. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I'll start, Maggie, I'll, I'll start talking about talent. What we're seeing is one of those core capabilities. What are we seeing in the digital world-class companies? So for starters, you know, as Hackett, we're always talking about metrics. So one of the things in the talent space we noticed, you know, we wanted to point out is that 64% of the staff are skilled professionals compared to 55% for peer organizations. So when we think about the HR organization, they're more skilled in, in the sense that they hire more of those skilled HR professionals. What this does, though, is it allows them to focus on more value-added activities. You know, for example, one half of the FTEs focus on the employee lifecycle activities compared to 48%. So that's half of the HR organization. And they're able to deploy more staff to things like planning and strategy as a result of that. I think a lot of times when I talk to clients, I always give them examples of things like, if I were to ask you as a person, hey, can you complete your expense report that you did from traveling last week? Or can you also give me what your five-year career development plans are like? Most people will focus on getting the expense report finished first, right? It's a part of human nature. We want to knock it off the list or check that box kind of thing that we've completed the task, right? We're motivated by showing progress. But what ends up happening is if, if we keep inundating folks with so many administrative tasks, they never get to the bigger and harder issues like developing that five-year career plan. And so that's when, when you think about how do you align talent within the HR organization, think about that example that some of our most valuable employees within HR, if we're distracting them with constant administrative asks, then they're never going to get to those hard, real strategic issues that they have to face and deal with. So, Yeah, that's an excellent point. Franco. And that's something that we really see that comes out in the data, right? When we do the measurement, when we're collecting data for an HR clients, one of the traps, for lack of a better word, that we see HR fall into kind of over and over again is there's a lot of problems that they're trying to solve. I mean, putting it bluntly, right? There's a lot of things that HR is touching across the organization. They're trying to get a lot of things done and so what happens is HR professionals get pulled in a lot of different directions. And so because there's this strain to complete work, often with sometimes limited resources, not always, but often, we see that HR tries to solve this problem by saying, well, I, I need another person, right? If Maggie can't do everything that she's supposed to do that's aligned to her, her job, right? Then we need more people to do it. When the fact of the matter is, is probably what's happening, right? As Maggie's being pulled in so many directions, I would love to do the thing that I was hired to do, right? But there's a number of fires and everything else that I'm putting out. And that really holds true in the data when we often see high FTE counts, right? In comparison to digital world-class companies, whereas digital world-class companies have really been able to optimize their processes through technology, through outsourcing. We'll get into all of that in the next couple of commentary here, but that's really something exactly what you were saying that the, the data proves. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Maggie, can you talk a little bit about the operating model aspects as well as part of the core capabilities? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I just mentioned is really a good segue into that. So you mentioned these five or six capabilities that digital world-class companies really show. And one of them is how their operating model for HR has evolved, 
right? And so we know a lot of our clients out there, they're trying to reimagine, they're trying to redesign their operating model, right, as companies mature. What we really see with digital world-class organizations is they're further along on that maturity curve, right? They really have a more optimized cost structure, probably because they do two things really well. They use more outsourced services, particularly for those, think those really administrative and those really transactional activities, right? So we're thinking benefits enrollment, obviously payroll and pay and things of that nature, right? And so one of the things we see is they're using those outsourced services, which lots of times includes technology, right? So just to give you kind of a neat stat, our digital world-class companies, their technology cost per FTE is 85% greater than that of their peers. And I think that's worth like stating again, their technology cost per FTE is 85% more than that of other companies that we benchmark, right? So they spend less on labor because they've really optimized their processes and they've optimized their structure, which really gets to, you know, what I was just talking about, where it enables people to really focus on what they were hired to do, right? Because they've got clean technology or maybe they even outsource something like payroll. So the HR team doesn't even have to worry about that. They also leverage things like shared services, right, to a much greater degree as well. So they're just further along on the maturity curve of that operating model evolution. Yeah, it's funny. I always tell clients a lot of times that your operating model can sometimes get out of balance, right? They could implement a whole new technology or they're outsourcing a segment of work and stuff. And your operating models over time gets out of balance. And it gives you these sort of large major events can give you opportunities to rebalance that operating model to make sure that you're insured that it is in balance. I always think of it as like a six-legged table. And if one of the legs changes, then the other legs are going to be out of balance. And so too many times we see clients just implement, you know, major technology system into their environment, but they don't rebalance the rest of the operating models as a result of that to make sure that you get that most efficient and effective use of it. Yeah, I like that. I might steal that metaphor from you, Franco. (laughs) I like that a lot. And I think, you know, I like the way you said that too, right? And that sometimes these technology implementations or these org designs or redesigns, whatever's happening in the organization, it does take a lot out of HR, but it's also an opportunity often to redo that balance, right? Which is often when my clients come to me saying, hey, I want to understand from a benchmark perspective, where I sit in relation to world-class, digital world-class, right? So that I can have some understanding of which leg is longer, which leg is shorter, right? <laughs> where I need to kind of fix my fix my table, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. You know, Maggie, as you were talking about technology as part of the operating model too, I think in the in the other core capabilities, if you think of just focusing on technology as well, what we're finding is that these digital world-class HR organizations just have a much greater automation levels and use of digital tools in comparison to what we see in the peers. Like, for example, in the time and attendance reporting area or entries, that the digital world-class have automated approximately 99% of that work in their environments versus 71% to the peers. Right. And so when you think about it, and then also like even on the payroll side, you'll see that they process 98% of their payroll administration transactions electronically versus 52% versus peers. So you're starting to see these 
huge technology investments that they have made over these years and that they continue to do every year are paying off, right, in their overall operations. And I think it's it's really disheartening when I hear of clients talking about, oh, you know, we're going into a slight downturn now and we have to cut back on our spending. So we just delayed our HCM implementation or new payroll system or we're delaying our new ATS system or something like that to save money. And I'm thinking, but all you're doing is just kicking that can down the road, right? You're just delaying the inevitable that you have to get more efficient, more effective. Because what's going to happen is a lot of times I point out to clients, listen, you have to go through this business case development process. And then eventually that makes its way into the budget. And then by the time it's approved in the budget, you have to then go through an RFP process. And once you get through that, you then eventually get into an implementation process. In most cases, when you decide that you want to implement some new technology, it could take anywhere from one year, maybe two years to eventually three, four years, depending on the size of the company to really have an impact. So the longer you kick the can down, if you're looking at a two to three year time horizon to really see the investment pay off on these technologies, you're back into a new part of the business cycle and talent could be hard to find again and, and or retain. And then you're scrambling to find things. So I think it's imperative that we think about these core capabilities and, and use the digital world class companies as examples of how they lead the way. And it's so much focus on technology and other core capabilities as well, but primarily technologies where they really drive that leverage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and as you said, that that shows up in the data, of course. And I think one of the things we haven't talked about, and as I was referencing the operating model, there's really this idea of kind of next gen HR, right, that's coming out. And one of the things that having technology, having implemented it, having gone through that process, really done the homework to figure out what is it that my processes need and what technology is out there that can really enable them and make my organization work smarter, faster, better. So it's creating an HR technology roadmap, things of that nature, right? But it also enables you to do some of the other things that we see digital world-class companies doing. So we know they're further along in this kind of next generation HR operating model. And they have things like employee experience teams, talent management teams that are focused on DE&I and leadership development, specific COEs and enterprises that are focused on just like talent sourcing, right? Because we know the war for talent is out there. So they're using metrics and data, right, to be able to figure out where people with critical skills are and what are they looking for, right? Analytics, how you pay people, how you give benefits to people, right? All these things that are really at the zeitgeist right now of HR. But if you're bogged down in that old model, right? It's still doing a lot of that day-to-day transactional work. It's it's hard to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great point in terms of when you talked about the next generation operating model, if you look carefully inside that operating model, they have teams that are dedicated to things like data and analytics. And in some cases, the research we've done in the past that having an analytics team, like originally when you think about how the analytics teams have evolved within HR, It was probably some data jockeys that were sitting maybe in a compensation area or total rewards area or benefits area. When I started my career, I would say I was a data jockey back in those days and I was doing analytics, but it was all relegated to the area where I was serving. But as things got more sophisticated with our systems and technology and HR leaders starting to see the value of data 
and the oceans of data that really sit underneath their feet that they have access to, if they can only just leverage that for better insights and better decision-making and supporting the businesses, it can go a long way. And I think what we've seen in these digital world-class companies is that attitude, right? That it is a strategic asset that helps drive more insights, which drives better decision-making, which leads to HR enabling the business, right? And for example, things like strategic workforce planning, digital world-class companies are two times more likely to have this process in place or tools in place to support that type of capability. And again, just as a reminder, folks, of what is strategic workforce planning is certainly what I would call that sort of higher level capability that we see. You know, when you think of HR organizations, they have, you know, people are starting early on to have like more centralized systems, more ability to do some analytics. They then have dedicated teams that are dedicated to analytics. But strategic workforce planning is that next level. It's really thinking through how HR looks at the human capital asset within the organization. What are the skills that are needed? Where are they needed? Where are our skill gaps and so on? So it's that constant comparison of the demand for talent and the supply of talent. And you need insights on both sides. The insights for the demand of talent comes from your business partners engaging and interacting with the business to understand where's the business going in the next two, three, four, five years, and what kinds of talent are we going to need to drive or enable that business strategy forward. That's the demand side. The supply side really gets down to what's contained within that employee profile. What kinds of skills are we capturing? What kinds of experiences? What, you know, how much are we paying them? What are their education, certifications, you name it? Where is that talent? And then it's comparing both the demand for talent to the supply of talent, and this identifies gaps. And once we know these gaps, right, things like, hey, we're going to go into a new country or we're going to open up a new service business or something like that, we have two, three years to plan for it. Imagine. Maggie, giving your recruiters, you know, your your head of your talent acquisition area, hey, in two years' time, we're going to have to hire, you know, 700 people for this particular business line with these particular types of skills, right? And you give the leader of TA two years' lead time to plan for that. Wow, that gives you a whole range of options that you could explore as a TA leader if you had two years of lead time or three years of lead time for these types of activities. And that's what when we, when we again, when we think about strategic workforce planning, it's giving all the groups within HR, whether it's developing talent, learning development, leadership development, succession planning, to things like recruiting, employee relations, you name it, all these activities, it's giving the leaders of those groups two, three, four years lead time to plan for things that, that we see in the strategic workforce planning process is telling us. Absolutely. And the data is there. We know that digital world-class companies are twice as likely to be able to provide some sort of set of tools around strategic workforce planning to do the kind of analytics, to do the kind of sourcing for recruiters that you're talking about, right? So the data is there. And I think just to go back to our original point, I think a lot of HR functions and HR leaders are anxious and hungry and want to do this type of work, right? But there is this sort of trap of the day-to-day of getting bogged down in a lot of the day-to-day activities of HR, which are becoming more complex 
and just needing more and more people and feeling like it's taking more and more time. And so I loved what you said about there's no time like the present. What's that old adage? The best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. And the second best time is now. The time is now to answer the technology question for your function, right? Because otherwise, exactly like you said, you're kicking the can and the gap between what digital world-class companies are doing and what we see other companies doing is only going to grow if there's further delay around these type of changes and investments. Yeah. Now, Maggie, we're also hearing, I guess our, our one of our last core capabilities we want to talk about is around this customer-centric design. We hear a lot of things about the employee experience and so on. Can you just talk a little bit about that before we wrap this up? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an important one. And when this comes up in my conversations with clients, one of the things that we see with this idea of customer-centric design, I mean, of course, it's all centered. It comes from the tech world, right? Of particularly the applications that we use being customer-centric. The reason why a number of applications fail, right, is usually because they're not easy to use, they're not intuitive, and they don't actually solve a problem that a person has, right? But apps that we think about the things that we use a lot in our day-to-day life, they solve problems, right? And they're easy for us to use and we feel like they make our life easier. Well, one of the problems we see with HR is just to put it bluntly, you know, a lot of HR processes are clunky. And I think most HR professionals, you know, would, would agree with that. They're clunky and they're not easy to navigate, whether you're an HR person who is in it every day and living and breathing it, or whether you're, you know, a manager, say, and you're just, you've got an open role, an open rec on your team, and you're just trying to go through the recruitment process to get someone. And it's not easy, right? It doesn't, I often call it the Monday, Friday problem. We go home on the weekend and things feel easy, right? We have applications that give us movies and food and anything else we might need, all just on our phone. And we come to work and often the processes feel difficult and cumbersome. So one of the things we actually see from the data is digital world-class companies, just as an example, are about 94% more likely to have something like a hire-to-retire process owner. Now, just if we take something like a global process owner and why that's important, you know, there's lots of times there's two things that I talk about. One is just accountability. You know, I was talking about this customer-centric design. Well, having someone who owns the process means that they care and they want to understand what's not working about that process. They want to better understand what's going to meet the business. And they usually want to design consistency, right? So that the way someone is getting hired in Seattle isn't so different from how they're getting hired in Miami, right? Or even on a global scale. Now, there's always going to be nuances. I'm I'm obviously not saying that hiring is going to be exactly the same everywhere. Of course not. But if you have these vastly different activities and processes regionally or even globally, right, that's going to cause a lot of problems. And it even starts to cause disgruntlement amongst your candidates and your new hires. And that's just the example of recruitment. But of course, that's true for pay. That can be true for other HR processes as well. So understanding the customer experience, you know, we we talk a lot about like candidate personas, right? So understanding what a candidate needs. We talk about moments that matter, right? Understanding what employees want over the course of their life cycle. When you have like a global process owner, there's more accountability to understand that. One other thing that we see, and the data really backs this up, when we look at digital world-class companies, one of the things we see is much less fragmentation of work. 
And what I mean by that is when we look at these companies and we look at the number of people that are working across key HR activities, or we call them processes, when we look at the number of people that are working across those processes, it's more streamlined, right? You have recruiters working on recruiting. You have comp and bend people working on total rewards activities. You know, you have L&D people focused on L&D. And then you might have like your business partners, which, yeah, they're a little bit more jack of all trades and that's okay. But you have a lot of streamlined work. One of the things we see with peer companies that aren't in that first quartile of digital world class is there's a lot of fragmentation. And basically what that means, like I said at the start of our conversation, a lot of people, a lot of HR people are touching a lot of different things. So even if you have a recruiter, they're off doing two or three other processes for some reason. Even if you have a comp analyst, they're having to pull a lot of manual reports. They're doing a lot of Excel work. They're you know, they're dipping their hands into some pay work. They're dipping their hands, maybe even to some recruitment. They're dipping their hands into learning because they're having to train. And I mean, there's just, it feels like it's never ending lots of times for the amount of things that people have to work on. And with digital world-class, we're able to see less of that fragmentation. And it allows for those digital world-class companies to move their operating model forward and to pursue some of those things we were talking about earlier, like analytics and things of that nature. Well, that's great. Well, listen, I think, Gary, I think that we're at about time, I believe. Yeah, just about. Thank you both. Thank you, Franco and Maggie, for, for joining me. Thank you so much for having us. We enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Your expertise was fantastic. Listeners can download a complimentary version of our full digital world-class HR research from our website, and we'll also put a link in the show notes. And keep listening for more insightful conversations from our benchmarking, advisory, and transformation leaders. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at thehackitgroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackitgroup.com. <laughs>